Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? You can't answer because you're on the thing and I can't see what the uh, what the uh, uh, text responses are. Um, so I was um, I was talking with the Lord about what what he wanted to talk about today. And so I was I was just about to get in my car and I was like, all right, Lord, what do you wanna what do you want to talk about this weekend? And I heard him say, I'd like to do a miracle. And I said, Okay, that seems like a good idea. Um, I said, What kind of miracle do you want to do? And he said, I would like to heal trauma. And I said, Oh. And I, I felt a simultaneous pang of excitement and absolute terror in my heart. And I thought, gosh, I don't really know how to heal trauma. You know, what, what, what are we going to do? How am I going to, you know, do that on a Sunday morning? I know we're going to be doing the, this over video. And so, you know, how, how are we going to express that over camera when everyone's, you know, in their couch or in their car or, you know, in their bathtub, wherever they watch these things? And, you know, how are we going to talk about that? And then the Lord, I felt him just kind of rest his hand on my back and heard him say, I would like to do a miracle. And I felt just the weight of responsibility lift off of me. And even this, this morning, I was like, well, I should probably explain what trauma is and maybe do a little about like, you know, this is how this works. Or here's some, here's some things that kind of uh, can make us resistant to, to the kind of healing that God wants to bring. And again, I felt the Lord say, I would like to do a miracle today. So... I'm not going to explain what trauma is. I'm not going to uh, talk about some of the ways that you might have experienced trauma in your life or this year, perhaps. Um, I'm just going to take a little bit of time to talk about what Jesus does. Um, So uh, those of you who have been around for a while know that a, a big part of my testimony is that for as long as I can remember, I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things uh, with my eyes, not so very differently from the way that I would be seeing all of you if you were in the room with me right now. And I, I remember one experience that I had that, that began to give me a picture of, of the kind of healing that heaven brings to our, our pains and our hurts and our... Uh, wounds uh, happened not, not so long ago. Actually, here when I was when I uh, not so long after I moved uh, over here to help start Bethel Atlanta, um, Paul Manwaring was overseeing a, a the um, a global legacy network of churches that were you know connected with Bethel, and uh, we uh, hosted a meeting of all of the uh, southeast uh, global legacy leaders in this area, and so. We, uh, you know, uh, had our uh, facility that we were renting, and had all these pastors and leaders from different churches come in, and uh, just you know connect with Paul and to do a service together. And so, um, this was still in the early days of Beth Atlanta, so everyone had five or six jobs, and so I was helping run some of the audio visual equipment for this particular particular um, event. And so I was sitting in the sound booth and watching all these pastors file in. Now, I was a missionary kid and a pastor's kid growing up, so I had a lot of experience being around leaders and, you know, sitting in these these kinds of meetings. But just because of the way my life had flowed, this was the first time I'd been in a big gathering of just pastors and leaders uh, for, for a long time. And so 
as everyone walked in, I uh, started looking in the spirit just to see what was going on with these pastors. And it was neat because there was, there was older pastors, there was younger pastors, there was men, there was women, there was people of all different, all different colors, all different types. And, uh, they had all different kinds of anointings. There were, there were pastors with amazing teaching gifts. I could see just these gifts of teaching, of, of unfolding the mysteries of God's written word. I could see that gift just, just pouring off of them. There were people who were prophetic, people who were pastors, who were people who, people just, who tenderly loved the, the children of God. There was all these different giftings, all these different types of people. But there was one thing that was consistent between every single church leader who walked through the door. And that was that they looked beat up. They, now, the degree to which they looked beat up was different. Some people just had some light bruising around their face uh, in the spirit. Um, some people had big gashes and cuts. Some people had uh, knives and arrows stuck in their back. The degree was different, but every single pastor that came in looked beat up. Now, as I mentioned, I've, I've been a pastor's kid and a missionary kid my whole life, and so... I know the kinds of pains and the kinds of challenges that come with being in church leadership. And so this wasn't the most shocking thing to me, but what did surprise me was just how consistently every single pastor was hurt. And so as we began to enter into worship, I saw these angels walk into the room and they walked in and lined up all of the walls, all around the back and all around the sides of this building. And they were all wearing these golden robes and they had... Uh, some of them had a like a cloth or a towel laid over one arm, and some of them were holding a big uh, basin, a bowl that was full of this really clear, pure-looking water. And as worship began to get going, I saw the presence of God enter the room as a cloud, and these angels began to dip their their cloths in these ra- uh, in in this water, and go to the pastors and begin to wipe off all of these bruises and wounds and cuts. And when they went up to them and, and wiped them with this stuff, it just uh, it wiped away immediately as if the, as if the uh, bruises had just been a you know, small little marker stain or something like that. And the cuts just closed up and healed right underneath it. And so very tenderly, very carefully, these angels just went and ministered to all of these pastors, just releasing healing on them. And by the end, all of their cuts, all of their bruises, all of the arrows in their back had been, had been pulled out, had been removed, had been healed. And so after that, there was a moment of quiet and all the angels stepped away. And then I saw Jesus walk into the room. If you've ever heard some of my stories before, read one of my books or anything, you know that this isn't the first time I'd seen Jesus. But I I saw him walk into the room and he walked to the first person in the front row and he looked him right in the eye and he smiled at them. He leaned forward and he gave them a hug. And after he kind of smiled at them and greeted them, I watched him reach forward. And even though this sounds kind of strange, in in the moment, it was the most natural, it was the most uh, uh, simple looking thing I'd ever seen before. He, He leaned forward and he grabbed their chest and just swung it open like it was like it was a cupboard and their rib cage just swung open and I could see their insides. And again, that sounds strange, but for whatever reason, looked perfectly normal. Now inside this this person's chest, I could see this cage that was around their heart. And this cage looked looked twisted and rusted and bent and and it just looked ragged. The best way I can describe it is it looked like like a wild animal had been trying to get at something inside this cage and it had been squashed and dented and pushed. 
And so I watched as Jesus very carefully, with, with the delicacy of a master surgeon, reached in and opened up this, uh, this, a little door on this cage. And very carefully, without letting the heart bump onto any of the sides, he lifted this cage out of their chest and set it behind him. And so then he, he reached forward and he picked up their heart in his hands and he leaned forward and he blew on it. And as he did, I saw this pastor's heart begin to glow like a, like a coal that's been breathed on or blown on. And as this coal got brighter and brighter, Jesus reached forward and set the coal back into their chest. And then he did something that I didn't expect. He turned around and reached behind him himself and pulled out another cage. This one was made out of gold and beautiful and uh, it was, looked perfect, looked brand new, no dents or cuts in it whatsoever. And he opened up the door and very carefully again, without touching any of the sides, set the cage back in this person's chest with the heart inside and closed the door. And I sat there for a moment puzzled as Jesus went from person to person to person doing the exact same thing, opening up their chest, removing a broken, crushed cage and blowing on their hearts, but then putting a brand new, clean, fresh cage. And I, uh, I was confused by this. I thought, you know, I kind of got the impression when I saw that cage, the, the broken dented cage, that, you know, maybe that's something that is uh, broken or, you know, some uh, unhealthy way that they were trying to protect their heart. You know, that's just kind of the impression that I got. But then I saw that, that Jesus actually provided this cage. I thought, why, why should they need to protect their hearts? And then I thought back to the my own history, a history that I'd experienced as a, as a church leader that I'd seen in my, in my parents' life and the lives of my friends. And I remembered that church work is hard. And I realized in that moment that Jesus knew that he was asking these people to do something that was hard, to do something that was challenging, and that he provided a kind of protection. He wasn't just saying, you know, oh, just, you know, go out there and keep a pure heart and no matter what happens. No, he was providing for that challenge. Years later, I remember I was thinking back at this moment, and I just remember her hearing the Holy Spirit say, I, I knew that they were born into a broken world, but I sent my son to save them, to heal them, and to cover them, and I have provided for every single one of those needs. I knew exactly the world that I was sending them into and the pain that would be involved in it, but I have provided for every single one of those things. And it was then that I suddenly remembered the scripture. Now, this is a famous one. We've, uh, we read it here quite a lot. Um, now, the, this, my f kind of favorite uh, address of this scripture is actually in Luke, even though this is a scripture from Isaiah. But in, in Luke 4, it talks about how, how Jesus uh, got in front of the synagogue in his hometown and read this scripture out to the people there. And this was just a declaration of what he had come to do, of, of how the, the, the prophecies that Isaiah had released were a declaration of the very thing that he had come to do. But I'm going to read it from Isaiah right now. So this is Isaiah 61, verse 1. And it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from, dark, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Wherever you're at right now, I just want you to just take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. If you're driving, don't do that. 
uh, maybe look at this recording later when you are at a place where it is safe or pull into a, uh, a stop or something like that. But if you're somewhere else, just close your eyes and lay back for a moment because I just feel that the, the, the goodness of God wants to show up in your life right now. There's a lot of ways that we experience trauma in our lives, that we run into bumps and bruises. And some of those we can look back at and be like, man, I made some really bad decisions that got me in this position or got me in that position. Or I, I made some big mistakes that did this or did that, did this or did that. But some of them we might look back and say, that was not my fault. I didn't do anything. I was born into a painful place. I, was, I had people do things that were disrespectful, that were unjust, that, that were not right to me. And that was not my fault, and I didn't do anything wrong. Well, today, regardless of what the source of trauma or pain has been, I believe that Jesus is coming today to release healing to, to restore, to supernaturally restore these things. And it's funny, even this morning, I was, as I was processing this, I was thinking, well, you know, there's a process to these things. You really gotta, you know, get some inner healing and find out the root of these things and, you know, work out how this happened and, you know, forgive this person and, you know, where was Jesus, all that stuff. And that stuff is wonderful, that is great, that is good. And that is an important part of the process. But that process is useless without a savior without a God who sent his son to pay a price that we could not possibly pay, that we could not possibly have even begun to pay back. That is what we need, and that is what is being released today. I want to share one more story, and then, and then I want to pray for you guys. Because this, this goodness, the, the, the goodness, the, the pure and, and absolute center of the goodness of the gospel is a mystery, is, is a beautiful, beautiful mystery. It is the simplest thing in the world. It's just love. But the mystery of it is also extremely, extremely deep. And so I just want to take a moment to, to talk about that mystery so that we can just let this goodness come on to us today. So... I remember I was, I, w I was at this church and I was doing a seeing in the spirit workshop. And so I was, you know, training people about how to, how to pursue this gift for themselves and doing a little bit of teaching and things. And in between one of the sessions, this, this uh, woman came to me and she said, Hey, you know, I, I would, uh, want to know if you'd be willing to pray for my daughter. And, you know, her posture was a little bit strange. Like she was almost hesitant with the way that she was talking. So I could tell there was, you know, something behind what, what she was saying. And, but I couldn't really figure it out, so I said, yeah, sure, you know, no problem, I'd be happy to pray for your daughter. And she just paused there for a moment and said, yeah, you know, that would just be really great, I'd really you know, love for you to pray for her. And I said, yeah, you know, sure, no problem, you can you know, maybe come and you know, have her at the next session, and that'd be, you know, that'd be great. And she said, you know, we're just a, we're, we were just a normal church family, you know? And I said, uh, yeah, that's great, I'm feeling very confused <laughs> inside myself. And then finally she said, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll go get her and I'll, I'll grab you later. I said, that would be great. Awesome. And so some time went by, we had a little break and then we got into the next session and worship was going on and she came over and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, okay, my, my, my daughter's here and she, she has no problem with, with you uh, praying for her, but she doesn't want to come into the sanctuary. She'll, she'll only come into the, into the foyer. Would you be willing to go out into the foyer and pray for her? And I said, uh, sure, no problem. And she said, maybe I should explain. And I said, that would be wonderful. Um, and she said, you know, my, 
my daughter, uh, we've always been a really close family, but uh, just a, a few months ago, there was this um, guy that my, that my daughter started dating. And, you know, my, my husband and I didn't really feel good about him. You know, we just didn't have this great sense about him, but he wasn't really doing anything explicitly wrong or whatnot, but we just didn't have this great feeling about him. And I, you know, and my, anytime I'd bring the subject up with my daughter, it would just, she would get really defensive. She would get really, you know, just uh, upset about it and just wouldn't, you know, it would just really start to make us you know, disconnect. And, you know, eventually she started sneaking out to go spend time with him. And anytime I'd try to bring it up or talk about it, she would just kind of, you know, explode. It was, it was just really hard. And so I just didn't, you know, didn't know what to do. And so this just, you know, was kind of just tense. And she said, then, then all of a sudden, this, this um, man uh, kidnapped her and took her away into the, into the human trafficking world. And um, we found her. It took us, uh, the police were able to find her and bring her back, but she was, she was two states away. And it took them three months to track her down and find her and, and get her back. And as she's telling me this story, I'm just feeling this, this heavy weight of, of compassion just well up inside my chest. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a father as well, and I have, I have daughters, and I, I can just feel the, the fear and the torment that, that not knowing where your child is for, for three months could cause. I, I obviously couldn't understand it, but I could just, even, even the idea of it was, was just deeply hurting my heart. And then, you know, she just said, you know, she's, she's back. We, we have her back, but, but it's just, it's not the same. And I just don't know what to do. You know, she's, she's only 15 years old and I just don't know what to do. And I just said, you know, okay, I'd be happy to pray. And so I, I walked out into the foyer and she went to go get her daughter. And the, the second we, we parted ways, I just started feeling absolutely terrified. I, I felt so scared. I just had these thoughts going through my head of, gosh, I, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how I could, how I could possibly help or how, I could, uh, how anything I could say could be of benefit whatsoever. I just felt so you know, powerless and just, uh, just running it through my head over and over and again, just uh, feeling this, this uh, the, and you know, again, this, this kind of cowardly part of me felt scared to even look at what that kind of pain looked like in the spirit. Now, you know, sometimes when people are around me, uh, when they, and they know that I see in the spirit, they, they maybe get a little bit scared that, that, uh, that I can like see what uh, wounds that they have or things like that. And, you know, think that I might judge them or something like that, which, which to me was always kind of funny because the, the truth is that when I see those things in the spirit, it doesn't make me judge people even a little bit because every time I see those things in the spirit, the only thing that wells up in me is the deepest compassion and empathy because I can feel how the father sees those things. And it, again, it, the only emotion it evokes in me is empathy. And honestly, in this moment, as I know this girl's about to step into the room, the, the cowardly part of me is scared to empathetically feel that kind of pain. But as I'm going, you know, back and forth in this, I just say, you know, if there is anything that I can do, even the smallest thing to help, then that will be, then that will be worth it. That, that will be worth whatever, you know, discomfort that I experience. That's, you know... I'm happy to do that. And so I'm um, going back and forth in my head with this. And then all of a sudden, this, this girl and her mom walk through the door. And the second they walk through the door, again, I'm so kind of worked up that I just shut down my ability to see in the spirit. I just turned it off. 
Now, this girl walks into the room, and just by the way that she's standing, the way that she's holding her posture, the way that she's shuffling back and forth with her feet, the way that her eyes are uh, moving around the room and not making eye contact with me, I can uh, just the nor- just the natural human part of me is is uh, is aching at the at the understanding of another human being in pain. Everything about the way that she's moving, the way that she's standing is screaming pain, is screaming trauma. And again, every compassionate bone in my body is aching at the pain that I feel in the room with me. And so again, I'm just having these thoughts swirl around in my mind of what could I possibly do to help? What could I possibly say that would have any kind of effect whatsoever? And so, again, I knew I had to do something. So I, I kind of wanted to tiptoe into doing this. So I, I started looking, the, I looked straight at the ground and started looking in the spirit and thought maybe if I just kind of slowly look at her, then that won't be so overwhelming. And so I look at the ground, start looking in the spirit, and I get to her, her shoes and I can see that the, that the blood from her wounds is so severe that it's filling and overflowing her sneakers. And again, I just feel this, uh, this pang of empathy hit me and it's so heavy and so hard and so deeply painful that I just panic and out of, like, like accidentally touching a hot pan, I stop looking in the spirit and pull back. And again, I'm feeling this mixture of, of shame and embarrassment and, and just powerlessness of what could I possibly do? What could I possibly say? What could I possibly give that could even have the smallest effect in, in this moment of such terrible, terrible pain? And it, it must have been the Holy Spirit that in the middle of all of that, I just felt this courage just well up in my heart and say, if I can do even the smallest thing, then that will be more than worth it. And so realizing my first plan was a terrible one, I looked at her square in the face and started looking in the spirit. And, you know, this, this happened, oh gosh, I guess it was three, three years ago now. And I'm still at a loss at how to describe what, what I saw on that day. Because every part of me could feel that pain, that pang, that stab of empathy was completely and totally there, just as I knew that it would be. But when I looked at her in the spirit, she looked absolutely perfect. There was, there was no scratch, there was no bruise, there was no flaw, there was no wound on any part of her. She looked as perfect and pure and clean as my daughter on the day that she was born. Her spirit was completely and totally whole. And in, in the middle of that, I could feel the, the dichotomy, the, the tension between, again, just her posture, the way that she was standing, her expression. I could feel the pain of what she had been through, but at the exact same moment, the exact same time, I could see that she was perfect and there was nothing wrong with her whatsoever. There was no flaw of any kind. And it was in that moment that I realized that I was seeing her the way that the father saw her. And you know, when you're around church and you're around people who, who love the Lord, you hear about God's goodness. You hear about how kind he is. You hear about his mercy. And scripture is full of descriptions of that. But what I felt and what I experienced that day was the absolute impossibility of his goodness, the all-encompassing, all-powerful 
completeness of his goodness. That, that his goodness wasn't this nice blanket that covered up what had happened or what her, she was experiencing. No, his goodness was present right in the middle of it, right in the most deep, most painful, most, most difficult part of it. It was standing right in the middle of that, but it was so good that it could be facing that, that pain, that darkness, that, that, that's, that trauma, and yet still remain just as good as it was. And it just shone in that place. And in that moment, I, I realized, I, I understood really for the first time the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God that would, that would pay the highest price for the right to be present in the moment of greatest pain, of greatest trauma. And in that moment, I, I, I did my best to describe what I saw. But what I realized then is something that I've uh, understood since and wish I'd remembered earlier today, that it's not about us doing the right thing or saying the right thing or walking through the right process. All of those things are helpful. All of those things are good. But the only thing that makes healing of this kind possible is the magnitude of the goodness of God, is that he is so profoundly good that his goodness can encompass every tragedy, every trauma, and every bit of pain that has ever happened throughout the entirety of human history and the entirety of our history. So I just want to take a moment right now, and I want you to close your eyes wherever you're at, and I just want to invite the goodness of God to come. There's no trick. I don't want you to picture anything. I don't want you to really try to do anything. I just want to invite his goodness into our lives right now. So Lord, we just stand humbly before you. We stand before you right now, not, not comparing our pain to someone else's and seeing that, oh, your goodness, oh, I don't need the healing in this, I don't need healing in that. We stand as you, we stand in front of you as people who have been broken, who have experienced pain, who have experienced fear. And whether that pain, whether that fear, whether that trauma came from choices that we made or choices that others make, we, we stand right now before you receiving your goodness receiving your kindness, receiving your wholeness right now, recognizing that we may have work to do. We may cooperate with you in our healing going forward, but all healing starts in your goodness, in your glory, and nowhere else. So I just release right now to every single person watching this, every person who will watch this, and every person in this, in this outdoor area right now, I release a revelation of your goodness, an experience of your goodness present in their deepest darkness. I just release that right now. And I know it's awkward because we're on camera, but whatever, wherever you are right now, I just want you to wait. I just want you to wait in this place and wait for his goodness to show up. For some of you right now, you're seeing pictures of moments of uh, betrayal, of people saying things about you, of people doing things, of people, of people violating your trust. And this thing is welling up in you that, I forgave that, I, I let that go. I, this isn't about you. This is about what God is doing 
in response to what happened. So I just, I just, again, just release the grace to let go, to let go of that responsibility to forgive, even though that is a part of the process and just allow the goodness of God to permeate our soul. Some of you right now, something's popping up that's, um, you're like, gosh, this just seems so petty. This is just a teeny thing. I, I, I feel guilty about being hurt about this thing. It's, I, you know, it's not even that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter. It's not about you. It's not about how petty something was that hurt you, how big or how small, how, whether that person intended to hurt you or not. It is about the magnitude of the goodness of God, that it is big enough for the deepest trauma, and it is big enough for the teeny tiny little traumas we experience almost every day. So just invite that goodness, let that goodness come in. And some of you right now, you're, you're experiencing shame because some of the trauma that you experienced, you, you might attribute to your own choices, to decisions that you made. And I, I, just, I just want you to invite this part of who God is in because even though you may have made those decisions and made those cho- choices, even that was not your fault. You were born into a broken world. You were born into a world that needed a savior. And that was not your fault. But your father saw you and saw what you needed. And he sent his son to be that savior. And so receive him right now. It doesn't matter if you made a thousand bad choices. It doesn't matter if you made a thousand bad choices yesterday. He sent his son to be the redeemer for what you could not have possibly controlled. For you, for the choices you could not even possibly have made for yourself. He sent his son to be your savior, to lead you into being the kind of person that you have always wanted to be and more and even better than that. So just receive him right now and do not let shame sabotage what the gospel has done for you. And some of you, this is a small thing, but I, I can see you getting in this space of, oh, you know, I've already walked through this. I've already healed this. I've already done this. And that's true, probably. And that's awesome. The great thing about his goodness is that there is so much of it that there is always more. That there is always more. There is always higher. There is always more restoration. And for some of you, God is wanting to take places that have been healed and wants to lead you to them towards them being fully restored. And the word restored, when we see that in the Bible, it's not just uh, patched up or it's not just repaired. It's actually made to be better than it was before, made stronger than it was before. There, there, are, there are beautiful strongholds for God's kingdom that the Lord wants to build on the foundation of some of your healing on some of the things that you've walked through, things that you have experienced in your past, choices that you've made in the past. The Lord wants to build strongholds for his kingdom upon the foundation of that healing. And I feel like for some of you, he's gonna start to reveal to you how he wants to do that today. That he is going to restore that to be so much better than it was before. Because that is how big his goodness is.
And for some of you, interacting with God in this kind of intimate way, inviting anyone into these kinds of spaces, it's not even a matter of like, I'm scared to do it. It's, it's I just don't know how. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know even how to engage with that idea. And I'm just feeling disconnected with this. I would encourage you right now, just wait. Because again, it's not about you. It's not about you being able to engage him. It is that he sent his son to engage you. I just release miracles today. Miracles where trauma is healed. Big trauma, little trauma, trauma from going through COVID, trauma from, from experiencing uh, racial hate or, 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 or racial disrespect or any level of, of, of racial unkindness or, or hate or anything in between. I just release healing to trauma right now. Healing to trauma right now to things from our past, from things from our family of origin, from things from our history, from things from our college years, from things from our years as a pastor, from things from our, our, our first marriage, our second marriage, wherever these things are coming from right now, I just release the goodness of God into them right now, that we would see a God who stands in the middle of those moments and still remains just as good as he has always been. It's the beauty of what he paid for. It's, it's not covering it up. It's not saying, oh, that was fine. It's not saying, oh, that didn't matter. It is not diminishing the pain one little bit. He's just so good that he's more than enough for it. Now, the last thing is, I, I feel that for some of you, uh, He's releasing a miracle, but I feel like it's one that's going to come in stages, that he wants to talk to you for the rest of today. I know it's hard, and I know, you know changing the, the posture of our life is tricky, but I would encourage you, if you're feeling something kind of spark in your heart when I'm saying that, ask a friend to, to watch your kids, you know, get a babysitter, take some time. It doesn't have to be today, but, it, but soon, just to spend some time alone sitting in his goodness, sitting in who he is. Because there, there, is, there are places in your life that he is desperate to permeate with his kindness, with his love, with his glory, and with his goodness. And so I just, again, I just seal what the Lord has done today. May there be testimonies of deep trauma where the Lord, where the Lord is revealed. And I just say that there'll be testimonies of people's physical body responding, of people's mental capacity responding, of our experience with other people and our relationships responding. I just say that this will, this will be a time of deep breakthrough, of, of God's goodness breaking through into our lives. So... There's no easy way to end a talk like this, but I just want to encourage you, if you're experiencing his goodness right now, stay right there until he's done. If you feel his goodness come knocking on your heart later today, then find a spot to stay and wait till it's done. Because again, this is not about you, not about you doing the right thing. It is about letting him do what he has done from the beginning and what he sent his son to do for us, with us, and through us. Thanks for being here with us.
We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.